0: With us this morning, we're a special morning for us. And every time that we gather, we want to bring before you the glories of Christ, sing about them, proclaim them. And so, if you would love to let us know that you're here, you can do that in two ways. One, you can um, sign a card on the way out, it's at the center table. All that does is sort of let us know, as staff and elders, that someone was here. We want to send you a letter saying thanks for coming uh, and provide you with the tools you might need to get to know Keystone more. The other way that you can do that is to pull out your Church Center uh, app on your phone and uh, just check in. Let us know that you're here. Um, with that check-in app, you're also able to see upcoming events, what's happening in life and Ministry of Keystone. Um, just a little nugget. Uh, Pastor Kyle was back from sabbatical. He got back on Monday, which is good news. Uh, And the youth pastor search committee and and elder team are getting very close to being able to uh, announce who Kyle's successor will be. So um, you can continue to be praying for that process. I would guess here uh, in another week or so you'll be able to hear um, who will fill uh, Kyle's shoes, uh, who filled my shoes, who filled uh, a previous youth pastor's shoes. So we're looking forward to that announcement coming out soon. Um, The biggest thing that's happening, though, is this weekend. Um, We have long talked about this Joel Wood coming, and uh, he and Ashley have arrived, which is good news. Now, to to get us to that point so that you understand what I'm talking about, uh, I need to kind of back up almost a year, uh, because uh, some of you know Pastor Keith is resigning or retiring from his role as preaching pastor. In fact, I was teaching the Connections class downstairs last week. Uh, That's the class for people trying to get to know Keystone very quickly. And I always ask this question, what brought you here? What's kept you here? Number one answer I hear every time I lead that class, I just love the preaching at Keystone. It's good, solid, biblical preaching. Um, Which was hard for me to then say, you know that he's done in January, I know that you're just coming to Keystone, and you're falling in love with uh, Keystone's preaching, but um, Pastor Keith, the, the man who's doing that more often than anyone else, um, he's out. They weren't surprised. They all know that it's coming. They've followed our emails, and I reassured them uh, congregation's already voted to bring Pastor Kyle in, and I have full confidence in his ability to continue in the legacy of Keystone's style of preaching. And I actually have even a small data point to prove that. Back in January, you uh, remember Pastor Keith was teaching a Sunday school class with our institute downstairs for the first three months. Uh, for three months, Pastor Keith was not in the pulpit. And during those weeks, we ran a connections class and there were a handful of people who had started coming in January, February, and March who had never seen Pastor Keith preach. And I asked the question to that group of connection people, what what brought you here and what's kept you here? And their answer was, we just love the preaching here, the Bible-saturated, prayer-dependent, gospel-centered, mission-minded, spirit-led preaching at Keystone. I'm like, yes, that's great. There is a kind of legacy in our DNA that's not totally connected to Pastor Keith, despite the fact that uh, so much of Keystone has been architected by him. His passions over the last 28, 29 years have become Keystone's passions. And so we spent a lot of time looking for his successor, and I'm excited about what Pastor Kyle is doing. But what, what kind of happens when you have a founding and preaching pastor leave is that if anyone else happens to be leaving around the same time that... That kind of gets overshadowed uh, because during our search, Pastor Charlie announced that he's going to go part-time with Keith as well in January. And I think to the degree that we allow Keith's succession to overshadow Charlie's succession, we do so at our peril. I know that Pastor Keith is the face that you see most often. Charlie's very rarely on the platform. But he's oftentimes in the home. He's often the phone call after the phone call. And so for the elders, as we think about Charlie stepping away, that is a giant hole that we want to be prepared to fill. Now, both Keith and Charlie are going part-time. They're going to be on staff. Uh, Keith is mission's pastor. Charlie is counseling pastor. But what happens is they're going to step down from the elder team. They're going to step away from the SLT, the senior leadership team. In some ways, it'll just be me for a season until we can find their successors. We know Kyle's coming on to it. But the question is, who's going to take over for Charlie? Now, Charlie's gonna continue to do a lot of counseling, pastoral care in his part-time role, but his days are numbered as well, whether it's a couple years or a few more years. We wanna be prepared for the absence that Charlie will leave when he finally steps down completely. I know some of you know what it's like to be in Pastor Charlie's office. He often sees you on your most difficult days, whether it's marriage strain and strife, whether it's a child who's wayward and you're brokenhearted, whether it's some sort of addiction, some sort of grief. And Charlie's able to do two things that I think is rare. He's able to both speak truth and speak it in love. Now, I prefer to do probably one or the other. Whatever growth I've experienced in being able to unite the two together is a result of um, Charlie being my mentor before I came on staff, my boss when I came on staff, uh, and my colleague and friend over the last eight years that he and I have served together on the SLT. So for me, it's important that we find another replacement for him which leads me to be able to talk a little bit about why Joel's here. Uh, During the process of us looking for Pastor Keith's successor, we came across Joel's name. We saw his application, resume, listened to a lot of his messages, and uh, our initial impression of him was good. Some of you heard the interview uh, that I did with Joel on Zoom uh, to describe what my initial thoughts were. Uh, I said he checks all the boxes uh, of what we're kind of looking for. And so we brought him in, uh, met him online, and then uh, brought him in. He was actually here back in April, probably. I don't know if you saw him and Ashley here back in April and you're like, I wonder if that's one of those preaching pastor guys. Uh, Yeah, he was. Uh, We kind of came in incognito. And during that time, there was something about his interview that collectively the elders identified as, could this be the man that God is leading us to use to replace Pastor Charlie? We know that he's looking for a preaching pastor position, but he counsels and thinks and cares and speaks a lot of the same ways of Pastor Charlie. The, the way that we do counseling at Keystone is kind of unique. Uh, we're not just after behavior modification. We're after heart change. And Charlie's concept that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart is a kind of Keystone distinctive. And as we heard Joel speaking about matters of the heart getting down deep in counseling to not just worry about correcting behaviors, but seeing how our hearts need to be transformed by the gospel, we got more and more excited about the possibility of having Joel come. And so, uh, Joel, I want to invite you to come up this morning. I want to pray for you before I allow you to share a little bit with the congregation about both your call, your hope. And so would you join me in praying for Joel? Father, we love you. Uh, We believe that behind the the curtain of what we cannot see, you have purposes beyond our imagination. You have design for all that happens. And so we don't think that it's an accident that we met Joel back in October of 2020, and that you have guided this process through all of the steps from a congregational standpoint, from an elder standpoint, from even Joel and Ashley's own hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time uh, to help the congregation sense whether you are calling this man to step in for Pastor Charlie, become Keystone's family life pastor, maybe be able to visualize whether he will be able to care and counsel, be able to speak words of truth and grace and hope, that he'd be able to um, encourage and equip maybe have conversations with young parents on what to do with their kid, a young marriage, figuring out how to love one another like Christ loves the church. Father, we want to make both an informed and prayerful decision about this decision. And so Lord, would you use this time for your glory and Keystone's good. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Brandon. man we are so excited to be here with you this weekend uh we were planning on being here with you in september and then our youngest child brooklyn came down with COVID. we're thinking oh man this is going to be crazy that followed in succession with our next two children getting COVID and Ashley and I looked at each other and we thought, okay, there is no way that we're gonna avoid getting this ourselves. And sure enough, the week we we're supposed to be here, was the week that we got COVID. And it knocked us out for a week or two. We recovered. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, But boy, did that change a ton of plans. I remember talking with with Brandon a lot during that and saying, I don't know if we're going to make it. You know, we're starting to get a little sick. The girls are getting sick. We're getting sick. And we ended up just having to cancel it, try to figure out what are we going to do next and postponed it to this weekend. So to be here with you today is really exciting for us, But it reminds me of another time that we made or I made a lot of big plans and had those plans changed. I remember driving from California to Wisconsin to get to college uh, back in 1995 and we were driving all the way across the country. I was really excited because uh, we had mapped out a very, very awesome steakhouse in Omaha, Nebraska that I was really excited about getting to. So we got to the state of Nebraska, and I don't know if you've ever been there or driven through it, but no matter when you drive through it, there's always construction, and there's always detours. So we were getting there, and we made at least five different detours in Nebraska. And I'm starting to get a little bit worried here because it was my 18th birthday, we had this planned out, and sure enough, when we got into Omaha, they gave us another detour. And back in those days, we didn't have GPS on our phone. We didn't have any kind of maps except for the physical map that you had in your hand. So we are on this detour. My mom and my sister are trying to figure out how to read the map. I'm trying to use my spidey sense to figure out where in the world we were. And we're driving around Omaha. And as we're trying to make our way back to where we're supposed to be, not knowing where we were, I noticed on the right the Mahogany Prime Steakhouse. Not what I'd planned, not where I was intending to go, but I thought, you know what, I'm not going to try to figure out how to get back to where we're supposed to go. We're going to stop here. So we stopped into that restaurant, and it was the most amazing steak I've ever had in my life, and the the most amazing dinner that I've had in my life. So that detour was absolutely incredible in my life, but I try to think through this That has happened so much in my life. Has that happened with you where you sit out and make a plan and then all of a sudden all of those plans change and then you get really frustrated with those changes and then you look back maybe like a month or two later and you think, boy, that was so good that those plans changed because I never would have been able to do this or I never would have made it here or I never would have met this person. God uses all of those detours in our lives in amazing ways that we never really thought about. And that's what I see when I look at my life. When I look at my life, I see a whole bunch of decisions that I made. And then I see a bunch of detours that God sent me on that led me to a bunch of destinations that I never would have dreamed I'd be at. And it's been incredible. And it reminds me a lot of what Paul experienced uh, when he was spreading the gospel around the world. He kept trying to figure out where should he, should he go to share the gospel. And he was so dependent on the Holy Spirit that no matter where he went, that's where the Spirit wanted him to be. And I was always touched by this passage in Acts chapter 16 where it says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled to the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then, coming to the borders of Nicaea, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mycaea to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. You know, God has clearly led me in my life, just like he has done in Paul's life in Silas's life and so many of your lives. And he's brought me to places and experiences that I never would have ever dreamed of. And he's led me on detours that led me to places that I never would have changed in my life. And though it's not been easy in any sense of the term, if there's one thing I could say is that God has been so faithful every single step of the way. And I want to share a little bit of my story so you can get to know me a little bit better and see God's faithfulness throughout my life. My story begins before I was born when God brought a returned, rebellious son or grandson of a preacher from Chicago and an Orthodox Jew from New York and they met in Arizona at a mutual friend's wedding. That was my mom and my dad. They fell in love at that wedding and they got married three months later. One week prior to them getting married, my mom was led to the Lord using Isaiah 53. It was a fascinating thing and it ignited a passion in both my mom and my dad for Jesus that was unquenched. And they began serving the Lord in incredible ways, starting with just leading kids ministry at the church. Then they traveled around the country with us as kids to share with people how to talk to other people about Jesus, how to share your faith. And then they let, God led them to be camp directors of a Christian camp and then eventually to be missionaries in Asia. And that was the home that I grew up in. A home where my mom and and my dad were passionate about following Jesus. But what it didn't do is it didn't guarantee that I would have that passion. It didn't guarantee that I would want to follow Jesus myself. So while I made a profession of faith when I was younger, it didn't really make a difference in my life until much later on in my life. I got caught up in high school in a bunch of weird things Um, another time I'll tell you a bunch of stories from that time. But I made a lot of bad decisions because I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for value. I was looking for fun outside of what I was supposed to be doing. And all of those decisions ended up getting me expelled from high school. And that began something in my life that God was doing that would find its fruition about a year later. In college, when I finally got there, I sat in a chapel meeting and the person who was speaking began to talk about this passage from Matthew 13. And he said that Jesus was telling a story of how weeds and wheat, or this weed called a tear grows up with the wheat and when they're growing they look the same. You can't tell them any different as they're growing. And so if you are a good farmer, you're not going to cut out the weeds because you might be cutting the wheat instead. But he said once they get to maturity, you can tell the difference between the weed and the wheat. He said there are some of you that are here today that you know all the right things to say. You know how to talk. You know how to act. You know all the Christian things to do. But your heart is far from Christ. And I was like... I felt God speaking to me in that moment. And I went back and I started talking with a friend of mine and sharing with him my story and what God was talking to me. And we spent about an hour together and he lovingly guided me back into a loving relationship with Christ. It was a phenomenal moment of my life. And he brought me through this passage uh, where he was talking about John the Baptist and John the Baptist is getting ready for Jesus and these people were coming to John and saying, what should we do to get ready for the Messiah? And this is what John told them. He said, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And that verse has become that catalyst in my life. Prove by the way you live your life that you're changed. Prove it. And from that moment on, my life was completely different. I gained this passion for Christ, this desire to know him and to make him known, a desire to get to know more about his word and to dive down deep into it. That changed the whole trajectory of my life. Then things shifted again. While I was at college, a friend of mine, uh, he came to me and he says, "Hey, Joel. Our car won't start, and we've got to get to church. Church is about 45 minutes away. I know that you have a van. Can we borrow your van and take our our friends to church? And I said, well, I can't let you borrow my van, but I'll drive you there. Not thinking anything about it. So we all piled in the van. We drove 45 minutes to church, and I was introduced in that moment to one of the most amazing churches I've been at, Central Baptist Church in Stevenson, Michigan, We had this great worship service. Then afterwards, we went to one of the members' house. It was right on Lake Michigan. We had this phenomenal lunch, hung out in the sauna, on the beach, on the deck. I was like, this is the best place in the world. I had so much fun. I said, this is the church for me. Now, while I had ulterior motives for wanting to be in that church, God had a specific plan for me to be in that church and started to work in my heart. So I was going for a little while, just attending, and then God started to to uh, to put on my heart to serve. And so I started getting involved, serving with kids and then with students. And in that moment, I felt an incredible change in my heart. It was in those days that God said, this, Joel, is what I want you to do for your life. Now, at that moment, I was pursuing a degree in athletic training. My whole dream was to be an athletic trainer for a college football team or a college sports team or even a professional team. So I was getting so excited about that. And then God just smacked me upside the head and said, that's not what I want for you. I want you to be in ministry. And I was like, that is so different than what I had thought for myself. But God shaped my heart so differently that at the end of that year, I came back, changed my entire major at school. And started to pursue Christ in ministry. And it was an amazing time for me. From that moment on, I I led a group of college students to that church from my sophomore year on. And I led the student ministries there and stayed there for an entire year uh, through the summer. It was an incredible time. But my time at college was coming to an end. I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? The end of my college days are over. What do I do with my life? You know, they, there was all these opportunities presented to me. I could go and I could teach English in Japan or I could go be a camp director in Texas or I could be a youth pastor over here in this church. And, but when I started to think through my life, I knew that God had called me to ministry. And as I was looking at the future of ministry, I knew one thing, that if I was gonna do this for the long haul and if I was gonna be a deep, In God's word, I needed to get more schooling. So I went to seminary with a friend of mine back in California where I knew that that would train and equip me and enable me to get the the depth and the length of ministry I was looking for. So I came back to California and I got plugged into a church because I had to support myself somehow. I needed to be involved in serving some way. So I had an opportunity to be a a football coach or a youth pastor up in Simi Valley or a youth pastor in an inner city church just outside of LA. Where do you think God put me? In the inner city church just outside of LA. One of the most multicultural churches and cities in all of California and here I was this Young white kid with spiked hair in the middle of it, and God used that time phenomenally. I got connected with a man, a pastor who mentored me and helped grow me in incredible ways. And I grew so much there uh, while I was doing student ministry, and then I ended up working with the kids' ministry, revitalizing that, then the worship ministry, revitalizing that. And it was just an incredible time. Now while there was incredible ministry opportunities at that church, There weren't many marital prospects at that church. And here I was, I was young, I was in my 20s, and I was starting to freak out because there's no eligible females in the church. And I was really kind of getting upset, worried that I was going to be single for the rest of my life. The pastor that I was being mentored by, he didn't get married till I was 57, and I was thinking that's going to be my life. And... So I'm I'm freaking out about this. And we started a college ministry for some of the area local churches. We all gathered together and did this college ministry. But on my own, I was thinking, I'm not going to find anyone here. So I need to go somewhere else to do it. So I started attending other people's churches and going to their young adult functions to see, hey, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's somebody that I could ask out. Or maybe I could go over here to this person's function. And I started thinking about who I could find to marry. And that became my focus and my passion So much so that I couldn't think about anything else. So one time I sat down and I started studying for my message to the students. And it was the passage with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus when Jesus was going to have dinner at their house. If you're not familiar with it, Jesus comes to his friend's house. Martha is so busy trying to get everything ready, make the dinner perfect, make everything so wonderful and beautiful for Jesus. She's all over the place. Mary, her sister, comes and sits down right at Jesus' feet and is just listening to him talk. So Mary is bustling around, and she's running back and forth and gets so upset that her sister is just sitting there. She says, Jesus, can you please tell her to get up and help me? But Jesus, instead of reprimanding Mary, said this to Martha. Martha, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Jesus reminded me in that moment that he was what's most important, that I needed my focus to be on him and not on anything else. So I made the decision to just focus on him and my relationship with him. Not a month later in our college ministry, the most beautiful woman in the world that I'd ever seen walked in to our college ministry. I'm sitting there leading worship Uh, And here she comes walking in and the first thought I had was, God, you are testing me. You are testing me to see if I'm going to be honest and I'm going to stick with my relationship commitment to you. Well, she had come at the request of her best friend who was interested in another guy in the college ministry and wanted her best friend's opinion. So she gets here and when she sees me leading worship, she, after it's all over, takes her best friend says, we need to go to the bathroom and talk. So they go to the bathroom and talk, and, and she says, okay, now who is that guy leading worship, and why didn't you tell me about him? So her best friend says, oh, that's just Joel. As if I was like the most ineligible person <laughs> available at the time. Uh, like she didn't even consider that I was even possible as a relationship possibility. So here we were in... She got to know uh, a little bit more about me. She says that when she went home that night, she told her parents about me and then prayed every night for me from that time. I'm a little bit more of a late bloomer. I didn't realize this. As I got to know her a little bit more, uh, I got to see her heart, and she was amazing. But I knew or I was thinking that God was just testing me in all of this, because not only was there this beautiful woman, but she was taller than I was, and I had said, you know, God, I'm going to really struggle if I marry somebody who's taller than I am, and so I was like, God has tested me with a beautiful woman, and one who's taller than me, this is just a test, but the more that we served together, the more that we got to know each other, the more that we really grew closer together, Being the late bloomer, I was and a little bit slow of seeing the signs. Um, It took her sending a text message to another guy who was interested in her and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in Joel, and I'm sorry to tell you that. And she sent it to me instead of to him. (laughs) So I got super excited. I was like, yes, this is the sign. It's like, thank you, Lord. I was waiting for a direct sign from him that this was the person. I came back. I was speaking at a retreat. Right in front of everyone in the college ministry, I asked her out on a date. They were all blown away like, what just happened? We went on a date. Our first date was at David Crowder concert at a fair. It was crazy. And we walked around and we talked about our lives and our dreams and our hopes. And just so you can see, I tried to make myself super undesirable with a beard that I don't know what I was thinking about and a long rat tail. I don't know why. Just making myself undesirable. Here's a little picture of our first date very interesting time in my life. But God used that detour and brought us together, and about two years later, we got married. So there's another detour that happens in between that. Just before we got married, about six months, um, let me back up a little bit further. I was working at this church in the inner city, and the pastor had just resigned and retired. And one of my best friends that we went to seminary, that I went to seminary with, he was transitioning to that role as lead pastor. And he had been there for about a year. We were working together to revitalize the church, re-engage the community. Uh, God was doing some amazing things in that time. And he and his wife went away for a little retreat. Uh, and they came back. And on the way back, they were involved in a car accident. And that car accident took his life and left his wife in bad shape. And it left the rest of us at the church kind of reeling, struggling, trying to make sense of what had just happened, and really suffering through that time. We had all lost fr- a friend, we'd all lost the pastor, we'd lost the leader. It was such a difficult time with us. We we're devastated. But God gave us some comfort during that time, and He used a special passage from Habakkuk. And this is what kept us through that entire year. It's a little bit small on the screen, but I'll read it for you. It says Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I stayed at Carson during that time and we nursed ourselves through that year of grief. And at the end of that year, the elders came and they said, Joel, we want you to stay on and and we want you to be the lead pastor here at the church. And we prayed about it. Ashley and I had just gotten engaged. We're at that time thinking through what do we do with our life? Where do we want to go? Where do we want to serve? Where is God leading us to be? We were trying to think if God wanted to stay there or go to another place. And in the midst of that, all of this happened. And we felt God saying at that time, this is where I want you to be. So we accepted. And six months before we got married, we began the journey of serving in that capacity. And God used that time in phenomenal ways in our lives. We saw the church grow. We saw the children's ministry start to thrive. We saw some new people come and we started to engage the community. It was an incredible time, but it was also a challenging time. Inside of the time we were there, we experienced some of the most incredible hurts we've ever experienced, some of the most difficult struggles we've ever endured. And we walked through those times limping most of it, struggling through what God was leading us to. But in that moment, through all those struggles, Through that detour of our lives, God taught us something so important gave Ashley and I this passion that we want to make sure that no matter who it is that we're talking to or ministering to, we want to make sure that every person feels loved, seen, valued, and heard. We want to make sure that everyone gets that and feels that. And it was such an important time of our life And as we began our sixth year in that role, we felt God saying, this is is about the end of of that time for you. And we were trying to figure out, what does that mean? What do you have for us next? We don't know. So we spent that year praying and seeking counsel. And at the end of the summer, we felt God saying, it's time for you to step away. We stepped away. We didn't have another job we were going to go to. We didn't have another ministry role that we were moving into. It was just we had stepped out in faith, trusting that God had a plan, not sure why or what he had. And that began an incredible season in our life. We spent seven months without a job except for being a substitute teacher. And a substitute teacher, I never had a lot of work as a sub, never got more than three days of work a week. But during that time, God gave me work every single day. People showed up and dropped groceries off at our doorstep, paid our rent without us knowing. It was an incredible time of us seeing God's faithfulness at work, providing for us in ways that we didn't know. It was just Ashley and me and our first daughter, Madeline, we're trying to figure out, what are you doing with this, God? What do you want for us? And each step of the way, he was providing. And as we stepped out in faith, we were looking for what was next. And I said, hey, God, I want to do what you want me to do, but I don't want to go back into student ministries. That's the one thing I don't want to do. And That's the one place that God sent me back to. He sent me back into student ministries as a middle school pastor. And it was so strategic because he had used teaching in that district, the school district, to open up the door to serve at this large church in that capacity. And I had already established all of these great connections with students and parents. And it was just so natural. And God used that special time to heal us and prepare us for what he had for us next And as we entered in that season, God restored a lot of our joy in ministry and he healed our hurts. It was such an incredible time and we loved that church. But from the moment we began, we knew, even from the start, this was not where God wanted us to be. And we knew that this was a season in our lives that he was using to prepare us for what he had for us next. So we were, we were going through this. We were serving about five years in, almost six years in. We felt God saying, now is the time to start considering where I have for you next. And as we were walking through that, what does that look like, God? Where do you have us? What do you want us to do? We kept thinking about it, praying for it. And then another detour happened in 2020. You may all know what that was. COVID hit and the pandemic and everything changed. Around June of last year, uh, because of COVID shutting things down and the budget starting to get hit hard, uh, our church had to make a lot of budget cuts, and I was one of them. And I stepped out into a season of of life affecting. Here I was, I had three little girls, and I'm trying to figure out how do we make it? What are we going to do? How am I going to provide for them? You know, I don't, I don't have a job anymore. I don't have income coming in. All the churches are shut down. What do I, what do I have? I don't have the job that I had last time. And I, I was so scared, so filled with fear. What was going to happen to us? And I didn't know. Um, but as we stepped out into that season, all that we could see was God provide and God has been so faithful in providing for us. A year, almost a year and a half later, God has never failed us. He's provided for us every single step of the way and is unexplainable. I started applying to all these different churches all around the country, trying to think, where is it, God, that you have us to go? And the more that we looked and we applied, we seemed like we are in interview processes all the time. And then around September, the job got posted about a preaching pastor role at Keystone Church in a town called Paradise. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. It, is, it was on my heart. I mean, we were praying for it. And if we sat down and wrote down a role that we wanted for ourselves, it was that role and we're thinking, this is it, this is the one, and we are praying about it, and we thought this is the place. God wants us to be in paradise. I quickly discovered though that this paradise is a little less tropical than than I was expecting. But when I, I looked at this, this role, then I started to research the church. That's when everything changed for me. The more that I researched about Keystone, the more that I discovered about what makes it unique, what its DNA is, what its culture is, what is important here, what its mission is, what its core values are, the more that we fell in love with this church and the more that we felt drawn to it. And then we met with, with Brandon the elders and I got to see their heart for Jesus in the church. And it drew it even more. And just to hear the thoughtfulness and the prayer that went into the search and the interview process, it was overwhelming for us. And we thought this is a very unique place. And then to be considered as one of the top two candidates in that for that role was was such an honor. And getting to come here and see the church drew us even more. I mean, we sat in the same spot back there in April. And we're sitting here looking at this church and being amazed by what we saw and what we experienced. And as we started to think through and experience this and and think, is this what you have for us, God? We got really excited. And then the phone call came that said, hey, Joel, just want to let you know. we decided to offer it to Kyle instead. And I was really, really saddened at that moment because we thought that this is where God was leading us. But that wasn't the end of the call because the call continued and they said, but we feel that God may want you here at Keystone. And we want to think through another role that maybe would be good for you. Would you consider it? So we thought, oh, well, I guess we'll consider it, you know. At that moment, we were involved in three other search processes for a similar role of of a preaching pastor. And we thought, well, we'll consider it, but maybe, you know, we're focusing on that role. As we continued those processes and continued to pray, and we talked more with with Brandon and with Doug and Josh and getting to hear a little bit more about what this role was, the more that we started to feel God do something in our lives, the more that we, we saw that God was not leading us to a position. He was leading us to a place. And when we started to pray more and more and, and listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying, it became overwhelmingly clear that Keystone was exactly what we should do and where we should be. And that was an incredible moment for us, for Ashley and I. And a little bit more so because when Ashley and I were dating, one of the requirements was that we would never leave California, that we'd never leave her family in California. So to get to this place where we knew that this is what God wanted for us was a huge step. And a huge place for us. And while the prospect is still really interesting and challenging for us as we think about leaving all of our family behind, but when we look through our past, we see that God has been so faithful all the way through our lives and we know that he's got an incredible plan for us. And we were reminded when we were here in April, we went to a little store in Burden Hand. And while we were there, they had these little plaques set up and it was so perfectly set up for us. It was as if God was giving us a little message to prepare us for the time and the decision. And if you can't read them, they say, you can do hard things with God. Never lose hope. Pray God has a plan. And that's what we needed in that moment. And that's what brought us to this place where we feel that God wants us to serve in this capacity in this place. You know, God has been so faithful to us over our time. And as I look back through my life, that's all I can think about. That's all I can consider is that God has been faithful every step of the way. He's provided for us. He's been there for us. Has encouraged us. And he wants us to do that. He wants us to always be dependent on him. And he wants us to depend on him every single day, waking up in the morning anew, saying, we depend on him. Now, why is it that God wants us to depend on him every single day? A commentator says this so well. He says, He does it for our sakes that we may know the peace and strength that come from a continual dependence on Him, the joyful life that is ours when we trust Him and see the truth of our trusting. The happiest people I know are not people who don't have any needs, but people who experience the meeting of their needs with God. Listen, I don't know what you are going through today. I don't know the fears that you have, the struggles that you are enduring, the doubt that may be ravaging your mind. But what I do know is this, that God has never not been faithful. That God has never stopped loving or caring for you or desiring to provide for you. Are you weak Are you hurting? Are you on the verge of giving up? Well, you can make it through because if you look back at God's faithfulness, you can cling to that and the promises that he will be there for you in the future. Jeremiah said this in Lamentations. He says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know what you're going through. You may experience a a change in your life, a change in your home, a change in your family, a change in your health, a change in your job, a change in your finances, a change in your friend group, a change in your lifestyle, a change in any capacity of your life. And while all those things are changing, God never does. Charles Spurgeon says the best. He says, A Christian knows no change with regard to God. He may be rich today and poor tomorrow. He may be sickly today and well tomorrow. He may be in happiness today. Tomorrow he may be distressed. But there's no change with regard to his relationship with God. If he loved me yesterday, he will love me today. I'm neither better or worse in God than I ever was. Let prospects be blighted. Let let hopes be blasted. Let joy be withered. Let mildews destroy everything. I have lost nothing of what I have in God. No matter what we go through, God is faithful. He always is. Like the psalmist says, I'm, I was young and now I'm old. And in all my days, I have never seen the Lord forsake the one who loves him. And I've never seen the child or the children of the godly go hungry. As I look back over my life, the only thing that I can see is that God has been faithful. And as I look back at all the decisions that I have made and how God has worked through my decisions or in spite of my decisions, how God has used my successes and failures, how God has used every single one of my experiences in my life And I feel so strongly that God has used all of those things to lead us here to this moment. And I don't know how he has done it, but I know that he has been faithful every time through it. And if I could leave you with one thought, it would be this. God will provide however long it takes to get you to where he wants you to be. God will provide however long it takes to get you to the place where he wants you to be. God, thank you so much for your promise to us. Thank you for showing us so much how faithful you are, how loving you are. We can look at our lives and wonder what is happening? What is going on? Why are we experiencing this? What is the reason or the purpose? And all that we can say is you have a plan And as we look back on our lives, we can see so many of those plans unfolded. We can see your faithfulness and your goodness to us. We can see your love showered on us. We can see so many times that you've taken us on detours, but you've led us to a destination that we cannot believe. We're so thankful for you and for what you have done and for what you're planning to do in our future. We give you the glory and honor for it. We pray this in your name. Amen.